Hey, we knew it was coming, didn't we? Lockdown. We've managed to avoid it in SA up to now, but it's finally hit us and we're right in the middle of a seven-day lockdown, hence our pre-recorded YouTube service. So we want to ask, what is our response to that, to the lockdown, to COVID, to this worldwide pandemic? And not just to COVID, but just to life and the circumstances we face. Uh, we all face troubles and darknesses and difficulties and struggles along our journey. And we want to ask, what should our response be to that? What is a Christian's response to difficulties and what could be described as dark testing providences? And so our passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and of all the verses that Nikki read for us so nicely, thank you Nikki, we'll just be focusing on just at the end there just a few words and the plan is that we'll begin today and we may well do a second or a third instalment as, as the weeks go on, particularly if we're in lockdown. So verse 16, 17 and 18, be joyful always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for Paul writes this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus it's generic meaning it's not just to the Thessalonians it's to the church of all time Paul says at the end of his letter he insists that it's read to all the churches hence why we read it we had it read for us by Nikki today. So three injunctions there, and I want to, us to take them one by week. Sorry, one by one, a week at a time. And so let me begin, and we're going to go straight into it. And I guess I ought to just say here something that we do know about preaching. Preaching differs to lecturing or even teaching, I guess, in that it's not merely about imparting information truths. It does do that. It's meant to do that for sure. But preaching is unique in that it's not just merely imparting information. It's releasing the power of God's Spirit to its hearers. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, hearing the Word proclaimed. And I pray and I trust that as we hear together that faith will be imparted, God's Spirit will be released, as it were, at work. Incidentally, in this very letter, just as chapter 5 ends, Paul talks about not quenching the Spirit. And so we want God's Spirit to be powerful and active as His Word is preached. So we're going to look at it together. And we've got the one part and just the one heading, simply, Always be joyful. I say that with a smile on my face, but I'm contradicting what I'm going to say a bit later. We'll get to that shortly. Always be joyful. Verse 16, be joyful always. I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, you've lived a relatively healthy life. Never been into hospital, never had to undergo any medical procedures, any emergencies. Uh, just stayed well. A friend of yours gets ill and you go and buy some flowers and you pop along to the hospital 
to visit them and you encourage them with these words. Hey, it's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Hang in there. You'll get over this. Now, that might bring some comfort, particularly if you know them well. But it's a little distant, alien. In that scenario, we can't really empathise. And so imagine an alternative scenario where you've suffered with illness for much of your life, been in and out of hospital, been close to death perhaps, and even now you're waiting on the ongoing results of major surgery that you've undergone. And now you have a friend who's taken ill, in hospital, you go along, you buy some flowers, maybe some grapes. And how do you talk to them? Hey, it's going to be okay. I've been where you are. I can imagine something of what you're facing or what you're going through. I'm with you in spirit. Don't ever forget that. I'm going to hold your hand. And we're going to walk through this together. Can you see how that changes everything? It's that identification with those in suffering. And so when we look at the life of the Thessalonians, here's what we notice about them. that This is a church, young and yet a church that's not unfamiliar with suffering. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. Paul writes, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of your severe suffering. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14-15. You suffered from your own countrymen. The same things. You suffered the same things that churches have suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out also. Mere infant in the faith, and yet, yet, have, so here's a church that's undergone much suffering, and, and yet Paul can write, and he insists on writing, in spite of their suffering, be joyful always. I mean, what a thing to write. How insensitive, how distant, and it's okay for Paul, you know, away from that reality, you know, to be talking to a church and instructing them on, on, on putting a brave smile on things when they're in real difficulty for their faith. And so we're asking ourselves, hey Paul, what are you doing? And Don't you understand suffering? Have you never faced persecution? You know, how can you say this to a church in those circumstances? And we know, don't we? We know Paul can say what he says because he's been there. Listen, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writing, Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure for the concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? And he continues. What right does Paul have to command a young church facing great difficulty from their fellow countrymen to be joyful? Hey, Paul has every right. Listen, he not only went through such dire and difficult, harsh, life-threatening circumstances, but this, this is what he can write about himself. 2 Corinthians 6, 9. Die, yet we live on, beaten, yet we're not killed. That's the severity of some of what Paul faced. And listen, sorrowful because of the weight of the pressure of persecution, opposition, trouble, danger, ill health, hunger, exposure to elements, uncertainty. Sorrowful, yes, but listen, yet always rejoicing. Do you hear that? The reason Paul can write to the Thessalonians exhorting them to to, to, to be joyful in their sufferings because Paul has been there, worn that, worn that t-shirt, faced that trial, that difficulty. And, and though he was sorrowful, he rejoiced. Though he was sorrowful, yet he rejoiced. And, and so what Paul wants to impart is, is something of this camaraderie with the Thessalonians. You see, Paul is in commanding, to be, commanding them to be joyful. He's uniting with them, crossing over a bridge and engaging with them and saying, look, hey, I know what you've been through. I've been there. I'm worse, actually. And here's my response. Be joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful. I was sorrowful, yet I always rejoice. Hey, 2021, no doubt, uh, uh, for many of us, has been a challenging year. COVID is continuing around the world. We're facing personal challenges. I know a number of our members have been in hospital. There's others facing challenges with employment, other ill health issues, just difficulty in life. Providences that are difficult to, to comprehend, yes, and to withstand and to continue. And so here's Paul's word to us in lockdown. Hey, hey, it's going to be okay. That's what he's saying. Rejoice. Always rejoice. And look, that doesn't mean merely 
merely just grin and bear it. No, it means to have a deep and steadfast, concrete, certain reality about your existence that rises above any other reality in your life. It's a bit like this. You see, this injunction to be rejoicing amid suffering, we're not to think of it as something that contradicts suffering. We, we, we would imagine, wouldn't we, that if we're to be rejoicing, then we shouldn't be suffering. And Paul says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that in the Christian faith. No, the way things work for the Christian is that these two things don't stand in contradiction to each other, suffering and sorrow and rejoicing, as though the one has to cease for the other to, to occur, that one gives way to the other. They're not sequential in that sense, no. And this is what makes Christianity such an, such an incredible reality in that it's like no other wisdom that you would find out there. Everywhere else out there, they'll be, be telling you that, that your sorrow has to cease for you to get to a place of rejoicing. And now Paul says, no. Look, sorrowful, back in 2 Corinthians 6, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. These are not competing, contradictory realities parallel truths. Do you see that? The Christian may be undergoing major surgery, may be facing uncertainty, may be struggling through difficulties in life, may have uh, dark thoughts about the present or the past or the future. But simultaneously, says Paul, the Christian can, as Paul demonstrates, be joyful at that moment, simultaneously. So the first point is this, that it's something simultaneous. Joy can coexist with great sorrow. And secondly, secondly, we said this earlier, Christian joy isn't necessarily associated with a, a smile on your face. You know, you know, maybe you like to smile a lot. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I've, I've heard some people say some very serious things sometimes in talks with a smile on their face. I think, it's, they think that's bizarre. That's just because that's their disposition. Hey, you see, Christian's joy isn't about a smile on our face. That may be our, our disposition, but if it's not, don't worry, because it's about an inward state. It's about a reality within. The reason that Paul could be joyful amidst all of his difficulty is because of, of this reality. He tells the Romans about it. It's, it's all through his letters, but it particularly coins it well to the Romans. He does it in 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to show that shortly, but let me just take you back to Romans 8. A famous verse, one verse that every Christian ought to memorize, okay? Romans 8 verse 1, and therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? Condemnation is to do with, we use these words, you know, you know uh, with, with, real, with little uh, regard for their true uh, weight. Condemnation in biblical language means that at the end of time, God will disown us, judge us, and condemn us. 
to an eternity away from his presence. It's frightening. Because? Because of our sin. Sin alienates us from our maker. And you see, that's what condemnation is. And it's all of our just deserts. But for the Christian, for he or she who has put their faith in Jesus, and that's the wonder of it. We're not talking about someone who's become a better person for Jesus, because hey, we all know that we all struggle to be better persons. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who has given their life to Jesus, believed in him, professed faith in him, says, I believe in you, Jesus. Says, please forgive me my sins. A Christian is someone who's had their sins dealt with. And you see the weight of Romans 8.1? When Jesus died for us on the cross and when we came to faith in response to that, Jesus wasn't just dealing with sins of the past, but he was dealing with sins of the present and tomorrow and the day after. Jesus was encapsulating everything that we would ever do wrong that's contradictory to him and he dealt with it nailed it to the cross, suffered for it. And because of that, Paul says, we will never, the Christian, he who believes in Jesus will never be in a position of fear. Condemnation. Wrath. Judgment. Christian, you and I will never see God's wrath. For ourselves, experientially, that is. We will never know it. It's an alien concept to us. The only Father we know, the only God we know rather, is a God who is our Father and friend. Because of Jesus. Because he died on the cross and because there is now no condemnation. And so because of that, we have this hope that our sins are forgiven, that we will face God at the end of time because God is real. We will stand before him as a friend. Jesus will own up to knowing us. He'll welcome us with the outstretched arms that will still bear the marks of the cost of our forgiveness. He'll welcome us into heaven. And, and it's for that reason that that, that, that underlying truth that, that, that ricochets through Paul's heart that he could face the most immense torture and difficulty and suffering and darkness, hardship, pain and hunger. Because he knew at the end of the day it was well for him in his relationship with God. And so, though he was sorrowful because of the difficulty his faith brought him into, uh, with opposition from his countrymen and other Gentiles, he could rejoice. Because deep down inside, he knew he had something in the background. Look, without trivialising this, I enjoy eating food. And if I'm going through my day, and I know that I've got a particularly nice meal that that I'm going to do that evening and I've got that to come. <laughs> yeah, simple minds, right? Okay, that has a bearing on my day. Okay, it's something to look forward to. Okay, yeah, right? It, 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 it affects other elements of my day. 
because Paul knew that his sins were forgiven, that he had peace with God. Whatever he faced, that truth, which was of immense proportions and gravity, overshadowed every other reality in his life. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Weighed down, perplexed, suffering, in pain, struggles. Paul would say to us, as he says to the Thessalonians, be joyful always. Be joyful always. And we said this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 5, throughout the letter, but in 4 and 5 in particular, he undergirds, underwrites that command to be joyful by reminding them of sin forgiven and the ultimate and final impact effect of sins forgiven. You see, we sometimes regard we Christians sometimes regard sins forgiven as just as some something real, but hey, you know something out there, and we don't we don't. I, I'm sure we don't always appreciate what that means. Here's what it means. It means that God is my friend, that we're going to live with God, and that he's going to come back to take us to be with him. Here it is, Paul writes it in 1 Thessalonians 4. He tells the church, when he commands them to be joyful, it's because this is why. Here, he says it to them, 1 Thessalonians 4, Brothers, do not, I do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died. Why? Why? For sins. We believe Jesus died for sins. We believe Jesus has forgiven our sins. We believe we have peace with God. We believe he rose again. That is for our justification to prove his power and his credentials. And therefore we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of Jesus, yes, Jesus is coming, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ, though dead, will rise, first rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will be forever with the Lord. Why can the church at Thessalonica rejoice? It's because their sins are forgiven and they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to be with Jesus. They're going to be resurrected. If they die before he comes, don't worry, that's okay. In fact, you get to join the, the beginning of the queue because you get to come out first, rise first, and begin to rise from your grave to meet Jesus in the air. And then those of us who may be alive when Jesus returns, we rise too after them. Okay, <laughs> And together we meet Jesus in the air. And so because of that truth, whatever persecution the Thessalonians are facing and whatever hardships and difficulties, there could be a reason for them to rejoice. They're forgiven. They're going to meet Jesus. He's coming back for them. And he's going to take them to his kingdom. So whatever is happening now, it can't compare to the glory of them. I want to close shortly. But uh, many of you will know 
uh, a hymn writer. His name is Horatius Spafford. Wealthy Chicagoan uh, lawyer and made a lot of money, made a lot of money in property, in, in acquisition of property and in his work. He's married, had children. He was, he was a, a contemporary of Moody and Shanky and others. But he went through some of the most horrific challenges in his life. He sent his family on a holiday from the States over to uh, the UK um, and en route to Europe, en route, the ship was involved in an accident and all of his children lost. His wife Anna survived. And he had to leave Chicago when he wanted to and go over to comfort his wife. And he was at that time with all this loss. When anybody else would have been angry enough to walk away from God, Horatius Spafford penned these immortal words that live on and we sing when sorrows like sea billows roll it is well it is well with my soul hey no drug nothing of this world can can do that to a person in such tragedy. We see it in Job. We see it in Horatius Spafford here. There's someone who understands the true gravity and the pearl of sins forgiven, peace with God, hope of heaven. He knew that whatever is lost now, what couldn't be taken away from him, what, he, what was his, by God's divine decree, was that his sins are dealt with and that he'll be with his maker. That was his hope. That was his reality. And hence, there was an underlying joy. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians in their suffering, no doubt some lost to persecution, commands them to be joyful and it's what I want to leave you with what is our response to lockdown, to Covid, to bewilderment, to struggles to difficulties and challenges and darknesses hey 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 rejoice rejoice not because you're going through those things that would be morbid wouldn't it <laughs> be crazy, no 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 no, yeah, they are difficult realities. Mm, they are. I don't want to trivialise whatever it is that you're in today. They're real. And hey, I get it, it's hard. And you don't, you don't always let on, you don't always share. And I know when I send text messages to my members asking how we can pray for you, I sometimes get responses like, I'm okay. I know that's not okay. Hey, hey, those realities are real. I understand that. The Bible understands that. But God's word to us is 
rejoice in sins forgiven, peace with God, hope of heaven, a future in paradise. Rejoice. Paul says it throughout his, many of his letters. Think of the letter to the Philippians that we're looking at in our regular series when it talks about rejoicing. I'd say again, rejoice. And here he is to the Thessalonians. Rejoice. Let me leave that with you. Take that with you today. Into the rest of the day, into the week ahead, throughout lockdown, into the future. Re- be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.